All right, here we go. Testing. All right. This is the Coach Haas Podcast, sponsored by Sports Rehab PA, Bucks County's premier sports rehab and performance, and also uh, by Optimizers. Mike, tell us a little bit more about by Optimizers. So by Optimizers, uh, the Masszymes digestive enzyme helps to break down the food that you're eating, uh, especially if you have like a high caloric intake. Um, you know, in terms of like high protein, high carbohydrate, uh, really helps to pull the nutrients out of the food, ease of digestion and make sure that you're getting the most out of the amount of food that you're eating. So even if you're just, you know, someone who's competitive, very athletic, uh, competing, or even if you just have maybe digestive issues, you notice you have a lot of bloating, a lot of discomfort after eating such large meals, the massage helps to break it down. I like to take three before each meal. You can also take them at night. You can combine them with the probiotic, the P3OM. Uh, and Joe and I have been using them for a while now, and just, just some took great them results. down. Just took the took the P three OMs right now. Yeah, and they're, and they were awesome enough to hook me up with some uh, some bottles. Some um, you know, they always uh, like to give that out to people that are you know promoting their stuff because they know it works, and uh, they have a lot of research behind their product, uh, and it works really well. So if you want to try them out, go to Buy Optimizers and use code Juicy for ten percent off. Juicy for ten percent off. Nice. Hey Mike, we uh, we have we have another guest on. It's another Thursday night. Um, this is like this a, a series hit now that we've almost kind of created, uh, almost dating back to Dr. Seward's. Then we had Trent on, then we had Kevin Martin on, and now we're bringing on the the. I guess this is almost like the three headed monster piece right here, right? This is. This is Joanna Golden, and she goes by Joe. So this could get a little confusing if we say Joe, but <laughs> we don't actually say our names on this. But. <laughs> anyway, she is a, a physical therapist and a sports specialist for this device called Dorsey V, Dorsa V. And um, it's basically revolutionary wearable sensor technology. Um, and she's going to get into you know, her background, how she got here. And then basically really talk about this device. And then we're just going to, we're going to fire a ton of questions at her like we do to every guest uh, to basically be informative to our audience. You know, our audience is growing continuously. We can see that each week. So we're appreciative of that. Uh, we feel like we're bringing out some really good value. We're bringing on some really, really positive forward thinking you know, people in the field, and that's the word we've been using a lot, you know, is this forward thinking, this return to play, this this gap that exactly where we sit, you know, you and I from physical therapy to, you know, back to sports performance, that gap. And this kind of just really solidifies that even more. So um, without any further ado, we'll, uh, we'll introduce Joe and uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you both of you for having me on. The privilege. This is good stuff. So, um, exciting. like, like I said, you know, this kind of goes back to the, the podcast we did with Trent, and um, I guess Trent is the is the, I, the the brains behind this, and then and then you know everyone else is on the technology side. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, that's 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 pretty accurate. So basically, uh, also be is a wearable sensor company. We're an Australian-based company. We've been around for uh, more than 10 years, started in Australia, then went to Europe, and then to the US. And we, we had a product that basically, um, you know, physical therapists used to um, get great object, objective data on their patients. 
And Trent, you know, has spent, Trent's a physical therapist that spent really his whole life career um, really making sure that to, how to assess people for readiness to return to play. And he'd done all the research on all the tests and figured out kind of a screen to use, but he was using uh, the naked eye or, or videoing it with, with his phone. And I actually met Trent and I showed him our sensors and he was like, oh, this is the answer to my prayers because his, his tests, our sensors, and that's kind of where it went from there. So um, we actually developed uh, one of our modules because we have many different modules, but it's called the Athletic Movement Index. And Trent basically helped us develop that. So it was kind of a sort of um, marriage between Dorsey and Trent and his pets, kind of how it started. Wow, that's that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a freaking story right there. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. It that was is... just one of those great days when you meet someone and you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing, and it just went from there. So yeah, it's been great. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got into, you know, well, being a physical therapist and, and how you got even involved with this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. So I've been a physical therapist for a very long time. Um, and I actually trained, I'm from England originally, and I trained in England and worked in England for a while. And then I actually moved to the U.S. Um, and I worked in Colorado for a long time. I actually had my own PT practice in Colorado for 12 years. And then about eight years ago, we moved to New Jersey because my husband got some job that are in New York City that apparently we could not turn down. So we moved from Colorado to New Jersey. And at that point, I was like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to work. Let's see what we do. Well, I'd been here about three months and I was pretty bored. So by complete coincidence, I met the, the CEO of Dorsey and um, we started talking and he's like, we want to start branching out into the US. Would you be interested in working for us? That was about seven and a half years ago and I am still here. So my background is PT, um, have my own practice. I also work in professional tennis as a physical therapist. And I I've, um, was the US Women's National PT for a uh, tennis team for 10 years as well. So I do a little bit of tennis stuff still. And then I work full-time for Dorsey V and I head up the clinical sales. Um, pretty much worldwide now so great job that's awesome that's a nice <laughs> yeah. background where in new jersey do you live so morris county new jersey kind of near chester okay yeah so I, I grew up in uh, monmouth county manalapan ah, okay yeah. nice so yes. not that far from the jersey shore belmar point pleasant spring lake yeah we spent we, we have a house down the jersey shore so we spend quite a bit of time down there just south of uh, spring lake Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah it's a nice yeah. area. Mantle yeah. Looking. yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because you got to find something good if you're coming from Colorado, because you take those views in that atmosphere. <laughs> you know, it's Jersey so funny like, because, I mean, moving from Colorado to New Jersey, people were just like, oh, God. But then they come to Jersey, and of course, they're always pleasantly surprised. Jersey has a lot to offer. There's some very beautiful parts of Jersey. So, yeah, I like living here. Good. There you go. I know a lot of, uh, there's a big athletic pop. Obviously, Colorado has a huge running population. Um, a lot of endurance athletes still go out there to train Boulder, yeah. you know, um, Colorado Springs. Uh, and I've seen some footage of uh, Telluride, Colorado, and it oh, looks amazing. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Colorado That's is a beautiful. There is no doubt. It's gorgeous. And the, 
the entire population of the state of Colorado is very active. I mean, if you look at them, everybody's doing something, right? So, yeah. So what were you, when you were working there, what were you mostly seeing? Were you seeing a lot of that population? I mean, you know, I had a general orthopedic practice, so I was uh, seeing pretty much everything. So, okay. yeah, everything. Okay. Yeah. Well, when I, I took the blood flow restriction course with Trent, mm-hmm. And uh, I just really liked how someone with that much experience and this much enthusiasm was very willing to reach out. So I like to capitalize on that because there are areas of our profession where, you know, there's people have their nose in the air and they don't want to share or do anything. Um, You know, there's certain uh, specialties that are like that. And I just don't think there's any time for that. I think that we, you know, we, um, you know, Trent talked about where blood flow restriction has been around for a while. And he just recently uh, wrote an article that came up on LinkedIn, explaining it, breaking it down. Um, You know, we're looking at these things that have kind of been around since, you know, the bodybuilding days, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but they didn't really have the parameters for it. So they were doing stuff, but they weren't really sure. Now we have research and parameters, and this could be like, you know, almost like a next level type thing, because you see how our profession has changed. I mean, we've gone from like ultrasound, e-stim, massage, hot packs, so now we're doing a lot more manual, a lot more active, corrective exercise type stuff, you know, and uh, there's still people out there that are operating back like in the 90s. And that's what Trent was always getting fired up about. And with Joe and I were telling them, this is what we're seeing in this area. We are seeing these kids who are being treated in these facilities and these, these therapists are hell bent on these, these practice guidelines that are outdated. And these kids aren't getting better, but they're like, they're like, you know, hanging their hat up on these specific measures. And I'm like, so what, you know, like, it's like, oh, well, they get their arm here, they get their leg here. And I'm like, what is it doing for them? They're not back to what they need to do. And you still see these issues. And Dazza brought us into this conversation where I, you know, I was able to have a Zoom meeting with him. And I was like, we have to get you on the podcast because you need to talk about this. You've been doing 23 plus years with ACL type stuff, working with these teams. Now you're doing all this stuff with first responders and jujitsu. And then- he talked about Dorsey V and I was like, this is, this is the future because I've been using a lot of, you know, great cook and his fu- uh, functional movement systems. We use the selective functional movement assessment. And before then 2019, you know, just that fall, um, I took the fundamental capacity screen, which is great, but it, it's very time consuming and it gives a little bit more objectivity, but it's a lot of math and a lot of breaking down. Sometimes the patient and the parent are just like confused and the data can come up onto an app, but they don't understand how they got to those numbers. So I have to mathematically break it down and show them the asymmetries and what this means and then give them a cheat sheet as to where, you know, the broad jump needs to be in the single leg and what this means for impact control and explosive control and why they can or cannot run or jump. And it's just a lot. And then Trent's like, well, we have this system that basically looks at it and in 15 minutes, it gives you the data. And I'm like, oh shit, we got to find out about this. <laughs> so this is where we kind of want to like, I was looking at a lot of stuff in the email, looking at the videos and it just, it just looks awesome. So I just want to hear more about like, you know, what you're doing with it, what you're finding, you know, and like where it's being used, you know, and just kind of learn a little more because it just, it sounds really great. Yeah. No, it's really great technology. And I totally agree that our profession, you know, we need to move forward and, and patients and, and the entire world now can get objective data of everything. I mean, their Fitbits, their Apple watches, everything. And then we in the physical therapy profession and performance training to a certain extent, uh, you know, we're lagging behind. And this kind of is going to set everybody apart a little bit because we get great objective data. We're not just looking at our eyes. 
allies are good. You know, we've been around for a while. But when you can actually show a patient or an athlete or a parent, you know, these are the numbers, you know, it makes a massive difference. Yeah. So, go ahead, Mike. No, go ahead, Jeff. Is this something that is because I'm on the sports performance strength coach post-physical therapy, and Mike is obviously the physical therapist, is this a tool that can be used on either side? Is Yes, that's, that's actually a really good question. We get that question a lot. So I would say that we have as many physical therapists as our customers, as we do strength and performance coaches as well. Um, absolutely both. I mean, physical therapists can use it, you know, obviously to make those decisions. But as we know, a lot of times those patients are out of insurance benefits or they're going on to the performance training side. And so the performance coaches are using it absolutely as well. So because the technology can be used either for making a return to play decision, and it's really good at doing that, but it also can be used as a screen for an uninjured athlete looking at prediction of becoming injured. So, you know, that if you're looking at both of those, then obviously both those two fields are perfect candidates to use it. So, um... If we so if we have basically like a uh, so you have a 15 year old high school uh, soccer player female comes in post op week one ACL when would you institute the Dorsey V obviously we know we got to get you know through different stages and stuff but like when would you like really try to start implementing it and then when would you retest like how would you do that explain like a example of like a protocol yeah that's actually a, that's actually a great question I get that question all the time so. Basically, within our, our technology, we have different modules. So we have, for example, a knee module, which looks at how well you do a two-legged squat, a one-legged squat, and a hop. Then we also have a running module, which looks at how well you run. The sort of, you know, the overarching um, module that we use for return to play is called the AMI, which is Athletic Movement Index. But to be able to go through the AMI, which is a decently challenging battery of tests, and it takes about 15 to 20 minutes, you've got to be at a pretty decent point in your rehab. So you've got to be either, you know, almost ready to go back, or are we thinking about that you could be ready to go back? So if you're going to do the full AMI testing, that needs to be a little bit later. Now, having said that, during the early stages of rehab, you're going to start doing, you know, two-legged squats one-legged squats, you might start them running on the treadmill at a certain point before you're ready to return them to the field, obviously, so we can assess their running metrics. So we have great versatility in being able to use it throughout the rehab process and then also be able to actually use it for that final, you know, are they ready to return to play? So as soon as they can do something a little bit functional, like a two-legged squat, squat on both legs, bilateral squat, then you can start using the technology. Okay. Because a lot of what we run into, obviously, with insurances, is the insurances don't care about these kids getting back to function. They yeah. just want to know, can this kid tie their shoe? Right. This isn't the point of having health insurance, you know? Right. So, you're, you know, you're, and, and you're looking at, you know, people getting to more, you know, the self-pay and the cash base because mm -hmm. they want their kids to get back. They don't want to jump these loopholes of trying to explain why a 15-year-old should be able to go and do the sports they want to do, you know? So... This is, to me, it sounds like a very good objective thing because you could show them, look, this is what's happening. We're doing therapy. Now these mechanics are happening less. And we know these mechanics are correlated with injury. 
Right. So even, you know, so we see that. So it's kind of showing where the improvement is also showing you if what you're doing is working as well as if the athlete and the, and the parent are on the same page of compliance of doing this, you know? So if you're going to ignore it, it's really kind of, you know, that's your liability because you can't deny it because right now it's really hard. We're trying to give these parents, um, and the athlete, you know, the information they could see. I mean, I just had a kid come in with an ACL and the mom just really couldn't understand about it. She just didn't understand what the ACL consisted of. The, you know, the, the, the athlete was having a hard time understanding, like, like why is this happening? And, and saying that this was going to bound to happen at some point. And I had to show them in slow motion when they were doing, I was doing the motor control screen through the FMS. I was doing a single leg squat and an RDL pattern. And they could see it didn't even matter if the objective measures were the same on both sides. Both sides were having, you know, um, movement mechanic deficits. And that's what Trent was saying. He's like, sometimes the objective stuff is good. Like these return to sport tests that they're really hanging their hat on around here is the single leg hop test. Right. What Joe and I are noticing is these kids are just trashing themselves to get there. So they right. might do the six second hop test and get there. And the parents are like, oh, they made it in time. They made it. But the quality of movement to get there was really bad. It's like I'm a, the, the analogy I use is flooring your car with the emergency brake on. You got there, but you destroyed yourself to get there. Right. And now we need to show them like what that means and why, you know, yeah. like look at all the things they were doing just to get to that point. This is why they're getting injured. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really interesting, I think, because the objective data is, is useful in so many different ways. You know, first of all, I mean, you really want to look and see, are you even, if if you're talking about the athlete that's about to go back to play, are you even ready? Or is there a really high chance you're going to get re-injured? But also the compliance through that rehab. I mean, we know that, especially for those, those teenagers, that's a long rehab. And, you know, you get seven months in and these people are like, oh, I'm over this, you know, and that yeah. sometimes they're just, they're just checking off the days till they hit nine months or whatever we're supposed to be going back to play. But if you can show them, you know, and I've done this with people, it's like, all right, this is where you're at. I'm going to have you do your exercises really, really well, exactly what I tell you for the next month, and we're going to retest you. They love that because that's objective data that it's not me saying, oh, I don't think you're ready. It's here's the numbers. So that objective data, and they also get video with it so they can see themselves doing the movement. You know, it's, it's so powerful. It, it's powerful from a motivation standpoint. It's also very useful too, because there's also those athletes who are apprehensive about going back. And yet you telling them, hey, you look great, you know, but they're like, mm, are you just saying that? But then you show them the numbers and you're like, you're running amazing. You're running completely symmetrically. Look yeah. how good your bad leg is compared to your good leg, which is actually a bit of an issue which you kind of touched upon because sometimes we do a lot of work with, you know, how is it compared to the other leg? Well, a lot of these people don't have a good leg. Really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The other legs and ACL waiting to happen. All right. So, yeah. Weight, so, we find out the weight. so, yeah, very powerful, the, the data. Yeah, we, and we talked about that last uh, on, the, on the last podcast with Kevin, that the good leg tends to be where potentially the issue was in the first place. And it gets overlooked. You know, yeah. I can't tell you how many times for instance, a left ACL comes in and we have pronation or ankle collapsing on the right side. And I'm like, did the physical therapist say anything to you? And it's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, this could be part of, again, it could be, but we're not even addressing this now into the rehab 
because it's all right. about the insurance, take care of the leg, take care of the leg and not take care of the issue behind right. why it happened. Right, and our, like the AMI module, you know, it, it's a battery of tests on both legs, foot leg battery, you know, and core control. So, you know, basically the, the, the overarching kind of fundamentals of the AMI is that you're assessing core control. If you don't have good core control, well, bad things are gonna happen. So core control and then single leg stability with dynamic activity. So how well are you controlling each leg? So you're doing the right leg and the left leg, regardless of which one was injured, we also look at ankle dorsiflexion because we know that lack of ankle dorsiflexion is obviously a predictor for injury. And then there's a bit of a fatigue element on there as well. So yeah. this is, you know, at the end of that test, it, people are, you know, even professional athletes have said, that was pretty hard, you know? So, and if you really are worried about someone's fatigue and you can also fatigue them before you do the test. So, you know, there's some, but, but yes, absolutely. They, they need to be run through all of that on both limbs. Now, would you um, use this test? So my, what I tried educating the parents on after I did the FCS was, you know, here's where they're at. And what I would do is you're going through a season, maybe before playoff time or tournament time, I would come in and test again and let's see what's going on. Let's see if asymmetries are happening right. and let's see what things we need to plug in for you to do to prevent an injury. Because sometimes you're seeing that things are starting to creep up. We know that positional yeah. players are going to favor different sides. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is, you know, all these kids are doing is soccer, you know, or whatever the sport is. It's bad. It's the tournament. It's practice. I mean, some of these kids, uh, I was talking to, you know, someone and they said that, you know, the kid had like 13 games in, in a week, you know, it's just insane. Yeah. And it's because they're part of like three clubs right. and they got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. So it's just all basketball, all soccer, all gymnastics. Right. And they're never stepping back to do these things. And really, you know, the motor control training stuff we do, it's amazing we get accomplished in 30 minutes. If you're actually watching the clock and you're doing sets and reps and performing well, you get a lot done, but these kids are just not doing it. So, um, you know, is that something that you would do with the system? Maybe have, you know, uh, maybe a team or, or athletes come in, do it, and then maybe retest them again and say, oh, these things are creeping up. Look what's going on. We need you to do these exercises. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously it can be used in a rehab setting like we just talked about for return to play. But I think it's also been incredibly powerful in like a screening of a team. Because one of the other things that tends to happen is that, you know, it, it, everybody sort of talks about ACL prevention programs and things like that. And I mean, I'll use my, my, my daughter's played high school basketball and we had this season, which was just a disaster. We had so many injuries, et cetera, et cetera. So they're like, and there was only 12 of them. I think we had four stress tests. So the next season they're like, could you come in and assess them? Well, what's the goal of doing those assessments? The goal is that then you're going to do an, a prevention program. Because there's no point just assessing everybody and saying, oh, you're terrible good luck you know you, you've got to do something <laughs> well i mean because that does, you know it's like oh here we go you know but the thing is that that not everybody on the team should be doing the same prevention program which also tends to happen yeah because you know that basketball team i had people who you know six foot one freshman girls could barely stand on one leg right i mean a kind of bambi on ice type <laughs> also some people who were actually you know point guard solid could really do things you're not going to give them the same right. program, right? Right. So we've seen some really great studies done with the AMI, which screens those athletes, and then depending on what is picked up, they're given a specific exercise program. 
But then to your point, it's not like, oh, bye, good luck with your career. You know, you would then say, all right, we're going to bring everybody back in in six weeks and we're going to do an, a, you know, retest. Have you been doing your exercises? We can tell, right? That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But the other thing too is if you've got someone who's had multiple injuries or you're just worried about, and because sometimes we get questions like, well, where do I start with my football team? Well, first of all, you go to the, if you don't, if you can't screen all a hundred of them or however many there are, then start with the positions that you know are very vulnerable or those players that are always in the training room, always with something wrong, you know, start with them because those might be a different assessment protocol than some of the others. So I think you can use it however you want, but we've seen some really great success with assessment, targeted exercise program, and then retest. I think that this is definitely the future of objective measures because yeah. the outcome measures we have now, they're, they're really trash. I, well, you know, they confuse, yeah, well, even like the LEFS and the knee right. outcome survey, these don't apply to everybody. And I've been saying this for years, you know, you take someone who comes in in a boot and, and they grade all these things are good because they're just rocking away in the boot. The minute they right. come out of the boot, they have to walk more. It hurts more. They don't have full dorsiflexion. You know, it's more fatiguing. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like they regressed. And these stupid insurance companies, all they do is look at the numbers and they see, and there's nothing on that outcome measure to say, I'm starting in a boot, this is where I'm at, or I'm out of the boot now, this is why I regress. There's nothing there. Or some of these outcome measures automatically assume that people are taking pain medication. And the only options to choose are I'm using pain medication. And these patients don't know what to choose. Right. Or you're giving it to someone, even like someone like elderly, who aren't running, jumping, and cutting. And it right. goes making sharp turns while running fast. And this is going to an 85-year-old on a walker. Right. And then it goes, and then it just drops down to rolling over in bed. What the hell is this? You know, it would be more objective to give them this, this test where you can see what's happening with the knees and the hips when they go from sit to stand. What's happening when they're when they're walking and they're coming down off a curb, how much collapse is happening. That's more realistic than than this other crap. And this is all these insurance companies see because it's easy. And research years ago showed that they were, I guess, great. But that's not where we are in 2021. So, you know, and, and there's companies that are still using this Biodex machine. I mean, they are just, you know, they're so caught on the Biodex. I still have athletes coming in like, yeah, the surgeon wants me back in the office. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to do the test, the Biodex machine. I'm like rolling my eyes like, yeah. great, do it. Waste your time. Like, you know, right. so I feel like if we can get this system out and the coaches and the parents and the surgeons see this thing, they're going to be like, if you're talking biodex to me, goodbye. You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, it's absolutely so true. And I mean, I have my own practice, so I, I, I battled the insurance companies for a very long time. They're, they're really not interested in, in function or being able to get back to what we used to do. Can you walk without the crutches? Okay, great. There you go. Yeah. Oh, you're ready for running. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's what we talked about, too, with um, we brought on a, a Temple University uh, physician, Dr. Uh, Sewards, and he was saying, you know, um, there are surgeons that will basically go off just, you know, objective, uh, a timeline based stuff. Well, based on the tissue healing, you could be ready to run and load. So they say you're ready to run. And that's all the parent and all the kid hears. And then the binders are on and it's like, run now. Right. But no one's looking at the mechanics. And he was saying, he's like, there's only so much we could do in the office. But that communication needs to be said. And, and I think that he was trying to say that that there should be more communication in the physician's office saying, based on tissue healing, 
At this point, the tissue is able to withstand the loads of running, but you need to get cleared and look at the movement mechanics to make sure that you're running properly and all this. And that communication is just getting lost. And it also comes down on PTs and explaining that too. Yeah. This is what this means. This is what this means. And, and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting because we actually have um, some pockets of the country where the orthopedic surgeons will only, like I, like I have people calling me, PT clinics telling me, well, I just talked to my referring orthopedic surgeon, unless I get this technology, they're not going to send me any more patients. Well, that's great for me because I'm in faith, but that's perfect. <laughs> you know, these, these orthopedic surgeons are realizing, you know, we've seen it repeated time and time again. I mean, there was, we just had a really nice case study that I know you saw with, you know, a D1 collegiate lacrosse player cleared yeah. to play, yeah. not using the AMI. We put him through the AMI, the, the guy that was, uh, it was a performance coach that was using the AMI, told him you're not ready, paid no attention, went back, retour two days later, you know? And so, I mean, looking at some of that objective data, now you can still put it together with everything else that you've been doing. This is not something that you have to throw out everything else, but it just is another tool in your toolbox to be able to say, realistically, this person is ready to go. Do we, is there, maybe you were already doing this, uh, or maybe this is a marriage about to happen, but does the quick board and the Dorsa V work together? Is that too much going on at one time? Yeah. So, and yes, I mean, people, we've got customers who have the Dorsa V technology who are using the quick board. So absolutely. That can be all part of it. To put the sensors on while you're doing the quick board, that's not really practical. Uh, one of the one of the um, the things about our technology is that we have, you know, it, it's all been validated to a very high level because you can't just throw sensors on and say, oh, these are accurate because you really don't know. So we have FDA clearance. So to get FDA clearance, you have to jump through a lot of hoops. So we jumped through a lot of hoops initially, and all of our um, algorithms are validated to Vicon, which is a really really sophisticated. Um, tracking system, looking at joints and, you know, it's, it's super sophisticated, used for research, um, Bicon, Bicon with MRI. So we have validated all of the algorithms for the specific tests that we do. So there's a battery of tests that we run through and everything's validated. So you can use the quick board as part of your rehab for sure and potentially see improvement based on the objective testing by doing all of those things, but not necessarily using it at the same time. That yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And how do you, how does it, for the audience here, they can go onto the website, dorsavi.com, but yes. kind of explain how it goes on. Like, are these, are these yeah. like light bulbs or are these like little, <laughs> like, tell us how, like, how do you wear this? So they're little wearable sensors. So, like, your Apple Watch is a wearable sensor, your Fitbit's a wearable sensor. But we've made these plastic wearable sensors, which are about four inches long by one inch. And they're very light, but at the same time, very sort of durable plastic. We put those into a little plastic holder, and then there's a double-sided adhesive that sticks onto your athlete. So for the AMI test, for example, we put two on the low back, because the first test we want to look at are how well can you do a plank? So we want to measure what's happening in your low back or the lumbar spine for the technically minded um, while you're doing a plank. Can you hold that position? And the sensors will, the data comes straight off the sensors into a surface tablet. So there's no wires, no leads, no nothing. The data comes off. Our newer version of the technology is Bluetooth. The original version was ANT, ANT technology, which is what Garmin used. 
And so the data comes streaming straight off and it picks up literally every degree that you're gonna move in your lumbar spine. So we do some of the tests with the sensors on the low back, and then we switch the sensors onto your shins. And for the sensors on the shins, we're gonna do the squats and the hops and the hopping forwards and backwards, sideways and sideways. And it's looking at you know, the collapse of your knees inwards or outwards, how quickly that's happening, how far down you go. And that, all that data is just streamed straight off the sensors. So, and then if you're doing running, we put the sensors on the shins, we send you, um, put you on the treadmill and you can run there. You can actually go outside and run as well. In fact, you can put the sensors on and you can run for up to 24 hours outside, come back and we can offload the data. Because we get the runners who come in and say, well, I never run on a treadmill. You know, I already run over ground. Yeah. So, okay, then we, we can send you out, you know, with the sensors on too. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. How did you decide? Yeah, we both talked to the sensors. Are, are they rechargeable? Yes. Yeah. So they basically have a docking station and the sensors go back in and then they recharge. It takes a couple of hours to charge them and they last 24 hours. So, yeah. How did you decide where to put, put the sensors when you were developing this? Um, or was that Trent? Yeah, so, <laughs> um, so prior to Trent, we already had a knee module where the sensors were on the tibia. And there's some people, okay, I'm a physical therapist. I'm not on the tech team, but there's some super, super smart software engineered biomechanists that figured out how to get the data off the sensors and by putting them on the shins, you can see what's happening at the knee, what's happening at the hip, you know, that kind of what's happening in the, in the leg, really. Um, so we already had the knee module and the running module and the sensors were on the shin. We also had the low back module where the sensors were on the back, obviously. So then, so we had that kind of fundamental part of it down. And then with Trent's specific tests that were all research proven, I mean, he did all the hard work on figuring out which tests were reliable, reproducible, specific, all of that. And then we just used our sensors, you know, for the plank, the side plank. We do body weight squats looking at the lumbar spine. Are you controlling your lumbar spine, your low back, as you're doing a body weight squat? Are you shifting from one side to the other? And then we looked at the leg with the sensors on the tibia. Is it always the same tests or will you get creative with something? Like will you watch them squat and then see where they're doing and then maybe, I don't know, load them up with heavy weight and see what happens, you know, or, or add some external stimulus or you always just keep the standard? No, it's actually a really good question. So basically the algorithms are based on the specific tests. So we know, I mean, look, these are movement sensors. In those sensors, there's a gyroscope, a magnetometer, and an accelerometer. Now, I could put them on the dog and they pick up movement, right? Because they don't know whether it's a dog or an apple. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I, we haven't calibrated the dog moving it. So we need to stick with these specific tests. Having said that, you could do a squat. We know the squat is accurate. Absolutely. Load them up, do something different. So you can tweak it a little bit within the battery of tests. So you, you could essentially say, all right, so at day one, the regular squat, you had X amount of deficits yeah. with this and then get some training. The squat improves. Now we, I don't know, fatigue them first for the squat. We saw the deficits. Then you maybe retest and you see now with fatigue, it's better, but we're adding resistance. Now when they have to move weight, you see the deficits that keep justifying under some type of load. You're still not good. Your motor control improved for the movement, but when we load you and put you under, um, you know, some type of capacity, kind of like what, 
Greg Cook was trying to do with the fundamental capacity screen. When you when you put an athlete through higher demands, what happens? Right. You know, because we know that that's what Trent was talking about under velocity, fatigue, any other external stimulus that happens on the athlete. That's where a lot of injury happens. And you could justify, look, they're moving better. They're not ready for these loads yet. We still have to work on that. And that would justify strength conditioning, performance training. They need to get stronger now that they're moving better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can be as creative as you want within the parameters of those tests. And, and actually, that brings up a really good point, too, because one of the things that we've looked at is, you know, you're doing a squat, like a single leg squat. We can measure how far down you go. Because first off, you know, because if I squat to five degrees, 10 degrees, I might look really good with my Valdez-Ferris control. That's not functional. Though. That's not what we're going to be doing. So you need to see how far down they go. Then it measures how much valgus they come into, how much varus. So how much your knee comes in, how much your knee goes out. The other thing it measures is the speed of that, what we call the frontal plane motion, which is the side to side. Because if I've got a knee and I come into, let's say 10 degrees of valgus and my knees come in together 10 degrees, but I do that really slowly, that's a totally different force and potential injury risk than if I do that in a really high speed. So I'm like really whomping that knee in the structures. So that, that speed of that frontal plane motion, you can sort of see it with the naked eye if it's really bad, but you can't, you can't quantify that from today until four weeks later, right? So that's where some of those numbers just are you know, really important. Now, one thing I will say, because people often ask me this, it's like, well, do I throw all my other tests out the window? No, absolutely, you don't have to throw all your other tests out the window. Some of those tests are objective, you know, off the distance, something like those. Those are objective already. Now, the quality of movement is a problem, as you've already alluded to, but you can do what you've been doing, but then you can add on this technology as well. And it's technology that, okay, let's, let's face it, I'm a physical therapist of, of and I'm not in my 20s. So my tech skills are probably, <laughs> right? I mean, we're, we're, we're not tech gurus necessarily. So the fact that I can use the technology and PTs can use it, performance coaches can use it, it's easy yeah. to use technology. Otherwise, it's not going to get used if it's too complicated and too techy, right? And you get an easy to read report. It spits out a report as soon as you finish testing, which you can show to your patient, your athlete, the parents, and it's pretty easy to read. So. Wow, that's great. So when going back to the, when you're saying you put them on like your shin or the back, how do you know exactly where to put it on the shin? Is it a certain amount of centimeters or inches down? Like, how do we know yeah. that? No, that's, that's a really good question. So, I mean, technically it's mid shin, but you don't want to have people start measuring people's tibias and dividing by two. So we have fancy rulers and templates for the back that are based on someone's height. So let's say someone's five foot nine, I, there's a ruler that starts right inferior medial malleolus, right on the inside of the ankle, goes up the shin, says five foot nine, stick it right there. And then gotcha. on the back, similar, we put the, the lower one right on the sacrum, the PSIS, and then we have a, a color-coded template based on someone's height that tells you where to put the other one. So super quick and easy, and the goal is it to be reproducible, into a tester reliable as well. Gotcha. I don't want any of my marine friends to get upset, but we call that marine proof. Oh, there. <laughs> yeah, it's marine proof, so it's real, real simple. Okay. Yes. Okay. Joe's okay, Navy, so he's talking trash to the other uh, yeah. disciplines. 
I wouldn't want to attack the Marine. So yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> if you say Corman, sometimes it gets you off the hook. It just depends on the on the on the certain Marine. Okay, but okay, anyway, it is Marine proof, so that's good. We now know that. So there's a template that comes with it, and you just basically stick it right inside that based off of the height. So do you get right. different different um, I guess different slides for different heights. Yes, exactly. All the accessories come with it and it's all color coded and it tells you stuff. Wow. This this is super yeah. simple. Yeah. yeah. Super simple. Now, Joe, have you done any research? Uh, I mean, are you still in touch with how maybe they're doing stuff in Europe, you know, in you know, being from England? Because you know, uh, Joe and I, you know, we we're in this, you know, there's a Facebook group and, you know, we see uh, of a ACL injuries and we see how there's, you know, disparities between the U.S. and Europe and how they're doing stuff. And, you know, even though the U.S. is supposed to be the leader in stuff, we're finding that a lot of research on advances are coming from places like Australia, you know, Switzerland, Sweden, you know, and other parts of Europe and how they're doing stuff. And I'm just curious if you're seeing differences or if you have done any research between European, you know, athletics versus U.S. athletics. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And I'm not so in touch with everything that's happening in Europe. I mean, most of our um, research uh, around the AMI has occurred in the US. Now, I, obviously, as a physical therapist, I do, you know, I, I, I know that the, well, the British physical therapists are extremely well trained, trained. I'm just going to put that out there, as are the Australians, and they're all very research based. So um, I'm not sure there's a massive difference. I mean, some of what we've seen, most of the research on the AMI is coming out of the US. But, um, and their approach, obviously, different, different healthcare systems can be a little bit different too. Yeah, we don't yeah. want to get into that, yeah. that can of worms. But yeah. yeah, that can be a little tricky. Now, is Dorsey V, um, do you guys have any affiliations, any, any colleges, major high schools, anything like that? I mean, where are you guys kind of, you know, positioned so far? So people kind of have an awareness, you know, to kind of maybe look or ask for it, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, basically our, our biggest customer base is probably physical therapists with performance coaches in a close second. We have a fair number of um, collegiate teams that are using it. So um, definite number of collegiate athletics that are using it. And we also have some professional teams that are using the technology as well it's hard for me to talk about all of those because they pay us rather than us paying them so, you know but um we do have uh football basketball mostly football and basketball professional teams yeah okay nice yeah how about as far as but, you know the other thing I, I will say too because sometimes this gets a little bit like everybody thinks that all our technology is only used for athletes I mean, we've got physical therapists using it in regular practice on their low back pain patients or their yeah. knee patients that are not, you know, recreational knee patients. So, or older knee patients. So, you know, it, it's very versatile technology. So would, they, would this be used, I guess, too, in like an occupational therapy and, and, and things like that too, right? Yeah, actually, well, that, that's, an, that's an interesting question, actually. And in fact, I had a conversation today with a guy who sees mostly neuro patients like Parkinson's and how could he use it? And um, we actually have another sector of the company that works in occupational health and safety. So we actually put those same sensors on industrial athletes or basically workers. So, you know, and Mike probably knows this, but as physical therapists, we also spent some time looking at job site assessments, going to people's workplaces and assessing how they were lifting or doing things. And mostly it's a 15 minute look with the naked eye saying, I think you could do this a little bit better. Well, now you can actually put those sensors on a worker 
for their entire eight hour shift or longer and get every time they bend, every time they rotate. And then you can do a deeper dive down and say, did you know that you bent to the right seven times as much as to the left? Why don't we move something around? So uh, occupational therapists are often quite involved in um, you know, workplace stuff. So we actually do have a, a whole sector of the company that's very successful that looks at the industrial athlete too. Wow. So is there something where you could put these sensors on an athlete and have them maybe go through drills or a practice or something and get that data and see what's happening? Or is that a little bit too much complex? Yeah, it depends a little bit what they're doing. So one of the one, if, if you're doing running, um, we can do some running straight line stuff. One of the slight issues with wearable sensors, and I don't want to say it's an issue because then that sounds sort of negative, but we have a gyroscope in there. So if you want to do like cutting things and all of that kind of stuff, stuff the gyroscope starts going a little haywire. Gotcha. so um it's we can do things because one of the things people say to us is okay so my athlete is running great on the treadmill we can look at symmetry of load so have they got equal weight on each leg so post-surgery you know they're going to be favoring that leg it's going to be a little okay yeah. we can tell you you know how's that looking so they're like they're running great symmetrical straight plane doing great but they're a soccer player and they need to decelerate and cut hard to do the cutting a little bit because of the gyroscope and all of that. But we've developed a test where you do short sprints, come to a complete stop, walk back, repeat that five times. It's called our acceleration deceleration test. There you go, Joe, your deceleration program. <laughs> there you go, yep. Yep. right? So you can look at the exact same metrics you would get running on a treadmill. Are they offloading one leg as they decelerate? And it's amazing how people will run on a treadmill, totally symmetrical, all is great. And then they go into the deceleration test and suddenly we've got a, you know, 10% offloading off the bad leg, usually onto the good leg. Oh, whatever, leg, uninjured leg. Right. Um, I don't want to say good, because not always good, but <laughs> uninjured leg. And, and so, you know, then, then you're like, oh, yeah, then really not ready to go back on the field. So to answer your question, hard to do complete cutting both left and right, but we've kind of adapted a test for that. Yeah. I, I think that's so great. The, I mean, that's so the three yeah. drills that I basically have in there for the deceleration for that program would fit in that because it's only a five yard distance that they're, that they're yeah. running or shuffling. Yeah, yeah no, you do a really short, short sprint, come to a complete stop, like you're going to fall off a cliff and then repeat. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, which is yeah. something that, that I put into that, that ACL program because that's where most of our injuries are happening on the eccentric or decelerating end, but yet it's not in any program moving forward to return to play, except right. for mine. <laughs> no, right, of course. At least, at least you know, like yeah, there, there's just I, I really emphasize that part of it. But yeah. even going back, like I'll watch them go a couple times and decelerate, and I'll watch that they'll do it more on the right or the left and i'll go no 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 let's do it six times we'll do three and three because now i really want to watch but i'll let them go through first to see what they're favoring and then i'll say okay now let's see both sides and see what it really looks like yeah yeah and and, and that that is that's excellent i mean that's that's you know, obviously state-of-the-art testing right there but um one of the things that our running module also does is it looks at and you've got equal weight on each leg. And also how hard are you striking the ground? So back to my little high school basketball kids, which was, you know, stress fracture city over there. They were like slapping their feet down. I mean, those numbers of the G force 
at the foot strike was through the wow. roof. You know, yeah. so because they don't really have good public control, they don't have good limb, limb control, no core control, and they're just like, okay, you know. And so that running module is also really great for those athletes too, even the ones that are not injured at that time, you know, screening. So, yeah. And you get the parents that are like, they need to get faster, they need to get faster. That's been like the running joke, you know, with, with all this. They need to get faster. And this is just great information to show them why they can't get faster until they get better with these other things. Right. And if you go faster, you're just, they're just trying to repeat the faulty pattern faster, which is going to lead to some injury faster. Right. Right. I mean, I actually, I sat down with all the parents on this basketball team and showed them and they were like, you know, yeah, little Janie can't hop. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah, they need to see it. Yeah. You know, when, when we, Joe and I have done, you know, a, a team screening and, you know, when the parents actually see it and they know what to look for, you know, they're very concerned. Yeah. And I, I think we just, we need to, our biggest battle, we talked about this with Dr. Sewards, with Kevin, with Trent is, is pulling these kids from, from this multiple club. You know, this is just, it's just pressure from, from this, this, this scholarship and, and all this that, we need to be involved in, in all these clubs and be seen, be seen. But I just wonder, like, what, what are these coaches seeing? Like, all they're seeing right now is ACL tears and and kids getting injured and kids getting burned out. Like, like, what are you seeing if you're on the sideline and you're standing and you're seeing an athlete who's playing all year round? I'd rather see a kid that pulled back and is like, wow, this kid dropped this third club that's not important. And now they're here and they spent time doing performance measures and stuff. Now I really want to see what's going on. I mean, I'll be excited to go and see them at the game. Right. To me, I'm not going to be excited watching some kids who been playing soccer all year round doing the same thing because I don't see where they're developing and then they're injured and they're taped up. Yeah. Like, what, like, what is that telling me? So I don't know what these scouts and these coaches are really looking for. I mean, I'd really love to get some of them on here to hear their mindset, but I know that when we do talk to some of them, they are lacking education. They want to know more. So I don't know where the disconnect is and what, you know. I think actually it would be great to have some of those those coaches on too. And, you know, I, I had kids that I've got one playing volleyball in college and, and my kids, because I'm so obsessed about this, you know, they played three sports through high school, right? So my volleyball in college played club volleyball, high school basketball and high school tennis. But, and, and if you talk to the college coaches, they always say, oh, we want those kids that are playing multiple sports, blah, 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 blah. blah. But then the reality is, Playing multiple sports is really difficult. You know, that that they say that. Right. But then when it comes to it, it's like, no, 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 no. You can't play, you know, you can't leave the basketball match. Right. We, you know, we, we need for one of the better players. Yes, exactly. So, but it's been shown over and over again that the people that do multiple different sports and are not specifying, in, you know, getting sports specific in one sport at the age of eight are going to do better. But... I think, yeah, I think that the parents, they want to keep the kids involved because they don't want the kids just hanging around and getting involved in stuff, you know, and I've said this a number of times, you know, they don't get involved in doing stupid things or getting bored or drugs or just sitting on their phones and they want them involved, but, you know, and they're like, well, you know, they really like the sport. How do you, how do you tell them they can't do it? Well, first of all, who's the adult here? You discipline on everything else and now you need to discipline them on this and say, look, like, you know, I know we're learning and this is where the education comes in, but we know what is healthy for you and what's important. And part, if you want to be this high level gymnast and you want to be this and you want to do this, that part of it is trying to maybe pull them out for a couple months and say, okay, well, we're not just sitting around doing nothing, but we're focusing on 
maybe a strength conditioning program. These yeah. are things we're going to do. And we're going to do this because this is going to get you better. And this is part of it. And I say to all the kids, I'm like, you're playing all around. You're basically like a professional athlete. You're just not getting paid. Yeah. So if you want to train at that high level, you need to do these things, but we're, we don't have the information to show them. So I feel like this, this equipment is something to show them. This is why you need to drop the third club and do this. But it's like, you know, my wife said to me sometimes, she's like, well, cheerleading's all year round. How do you do that? And I was like, no, there's a period of time where there's, there's quiet time. And even if it's right. like two months, if you have them focus on a diligent program, you could get a lot done in two months, you know, and especially for some of the, for some of these things, it's really working on stability, some strengthening, a lot can be done there. I mean, even, you know, anaerobic conditioning can improve, you know, yeah. in, in four weeks, yeah. you know, we're not, you know, I mean, it's there's different still, for endurance runners. There still needs to be something that, that is done. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but there still needs to be something done consistently throughout like that two month window is helping but that's more of an education for what is to be set up for the next 10 months after that you know yeah, like yeah there needs so, to be consistency yeah. in a program too so what are they doing you know after you know the practices after that and maybe the education to the coaches is instead of having them practice again let's go and let's work on some of the mobility or do some of the stability drills based on, you know, the information, you know, that the Dorsey V gave us here. There's where your deficits are. So these are the exercises to work on. Instead of, we just, we just played a game. What, what are we practicing for? Let's focus on this, you know, but at least they have those components now where they could, they can implement that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and, you know, having that baseline assessment and then saying, okay, you've just done six months of, you know, soccer slash basketball slash volleyball what's happened to that baseline and how is that looking or you've grown you know four inches in the last eight months this is yeah, look yeah. completely different but you keep doing a baseline and then base your training off where the deficits are objectively that makes sense yeah considering the growth spurt I feel like a lot of these kids hit that at the growth spurt you know they just You're shoot right. up and then yeah, yeah. right yeah. what you had control of six months ago you don't anymore at the yeah. Yeah. yeah you know that's a good point. Yeah. How long yeah. does it does the assessment slash test take? So if you're doing the AMI, the athletic movement <laughs> index, which is the return to return to play, it's about a 15 minute test. Okay. So it's you know a battery of tests that you run through takes about 15 minutes. If I wanted to do a knee assessment on someone, let's say you know Mike was talking about the earlier rehab stage where they're not ready for the full AMI, you could do um, five hot well, five double leg squats, bilateral squats, five single leg squats, each leg, five single leg hops, four minutes. Wow. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and that's one of the other things too, is that when we, when we design this technology, it has to fit into people's everyday practice, whether that's a PT or performance, you know, people have got gate labs or biomechanics labs, and they've got special rooms and they put all these wires and electrodes. Okay. That takes a lot of time. It's a lot of interpretation. It's great data, but it's just not functional and practical in yeah. our medical yeah. model that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's why this is, and it's super portable. The system is, you know, eight inches by 12 inches with a surface tablet. You put it in your backpack and it just take it around. So that's another thing you can do. The testing it doesn't have to be done in a clinic. You're not designing special rooms. People ask, ask me, how much room do I need? As, as far as you need to plank, and to hop forwards and backwards. That's it. Right. So, yeah. Awesome. That is awesome. Convenience and efficiency. I mean, that's, that's what we're looking at here. You and know? instant report. Because another yeah. thing is people are using their phones to video or other things. Well, by the time, you know, 
you've got a busy day and especially as a PT, you've got all those patient notes to write and everything. And then you've got to look through videos and start analyzing things. It's just not going to happen. So you do that 15 minute test, you hit the report button, out spits the report. It's a PDF, it's easy to read. You can hand it right to the athlete, parent, patient, doctor, whomever. That's amazing. That is, wow. That's good yeah. stuff. It's definitely the way of the future. We have to get objective data as yeah. clinicians. It yeah. just has to happen. Yeah. You know. And that's the direction that the profession is going, looking at reimbursement for objective measures, you know. Um, but even for strength conditioning and performance, you know, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of those models are cash based because insurance is more pay for that. But then, people, you know, parents want to see what they're spending the money yeah. for. And if I'm going to spend all this money, first of all, what am I getting out of it? Okay. See why now they got to be on the kid. You need to be doing this stuff. Cause I'm paying, you know, a grand or two grand for these programs or something like stop messing around, get off the Snapchat, do your exercises. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. It's true. No, it's true. Yeah. So look, I have three questions I'm going to fire at you. Okay. We'll go one at a time, obviously. Um, but so we do this with a lot of the guests that come on and, you know, part of the, the podcast is about the curiosity. So what are, what are some things that are like, it could be, you know, obviously through the uh, doors of being like, what are, what are some things that are kind of keeping you awake at night right now? Well, me from a professional standpoint. Well, I mean, one of the things that always worries me, and, and Mike has touched on this a little bit, is that our profession needs to move with the times, you know, and you see other professions and not medical professions, but you know how fast things change in the tech world or other things. And then I think sometimes as physical therapists, we're a little kind of, we're slow to change sometimes. And I also, it to me, as, as a physical therapist and as a clinician, my biggest, biggest pet peeve is the inability to be able to clinically reason through things and not just, you know, sometimes it's a profession where like, you do this, you do this, you do this. No, you have to think. Every, every patient, every athlete, every person that comes in in front of you is completely different. And you have to be able to, I know you're rushed and I know it's busy and all of that, but you've got to take them as a whole and look at them and treat them individually and figure out what exactly is going on. But at the same time as a profession, we need to throw out some of the things that we don't work and really look at other things and move with the times. That will keep me up at night. Hey. <laughs> All right. How about uh, well, on that spiel all the time, right? <laughs> What's that? What I go that? on that spiel all the time, right? It's what Joe and I talk about: forward thinking. I know it's, it's mind-boggling these these kids that we're getting that you know Joe's supposed to do strength and conditioning and he can't get anywhere because and this is really how we started networking. He's getting these kids that have been spending six months in these PT places. Mm -hmm. And they still can't stand on one leg for six mm -hmm. months, and they've been paying hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. And then I have to have a I have to have a conversation with them and say we need to dial it back, and like the face just drops, and I'm just mm -hmm. like I'm sorry, but and then you got these PTs getting all like upset about it, and it's like, well, what the hell are you doing? I know, you know, like I, I just know. don't get it. I know. Yeah. I, I just I, you know, as a as a physical therapist, I, I'm an extremely impatient person by nature, which my family will attest to. But if someone comes back in 
the next visit and, and I say, you know, let's say they've got back pain and, and I say, how is it? And they said the same. I'm like, what? No, that, that's, that can't be happening. Okay, we can't be the same. You know, you're either worse after what I did or you're better. If you're the same, I missed the mark. So, you know, always looking for what I can do to change that, you know, but you get the same, people do the same thing every day and every treatment. I'm like, no, no, that's not right. Well, I, I have the different case. Yeah. Yes. I, I have to drill my patients. I mean, sometimes you come in and they're like, you know, well, what'd you do for her? Nothing. I'm like, so you sat in the corner all day. You got to pry at them. Even somebody yeah. elderly, it's like, what did you do? And like, they think it's the same because when they get the pain, it's the same, but then you pry at them and it's like, oh, well, I haven't had it X amount of times. So I'm like, then you're better. And they don't, they don't better. you know, yeah. But even right. sometimes like the high school kids, like, you know where they're at, they're moody, they don't want to come in, they don't want to talk, right. you know, until they start seeing that they're getting better, but you got to pry at them. So yeah, you know, but. Um, I'll say one thing about the high school kids. If you put some sensors on them and some technology, oh my God, their eyes light up. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing that testing at, at the girls' high school, you know, I mean, I, I'd be in the gym and I, you know, have one of the kids with the sensors on running and the whole student body's like gathered around. They're like, what's Mrs. Golden doing? You know, and. Boom. I mean, because it gets their attention. That's that's their world. It's tech, that's the right? world. So they're like about with, with the quick board, you know. Yes. Like they had they have leaderboards, they're gonna motivate, right. you know. Right. So right. yeah. All right, question number two. What is your biggest obsession right now? <laughs> As a professional or um, whatever you want. Whatever yeah. I want. It's an open podcast. Feel free. I mean, we don't hold back. <laughs> I don't know what my biggest obsession is. I think, you know, it's it's been a it's been a rough a rough few years for it. Well, a couple, you know, right this last year and a half or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think one of my things is that you know, do something different every day. Live your life. That's that's a little bit of my obsession. It's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what what's going to happen. So I'm a little bit like, okay, what can I experience today? That's not necessarily professionally. That's just personally as well. I think. That's great. That's yeah. yeah. And then how about kind of get into uh, some of your success habits? Like what are some things that you do consistently that, that, that are they're making you successful? Yeah. I mean, from a, from a professional standpoint, because I'm in sales. So um, I, I'm super organized about, I mean, to the point of, you know, the rest of my family would now roll their eyes completely. But, you know, the lists of the lists and, and, and from a professional standpoint, I'm in sales. So sales is, is, you know, I love what I do. I love the product. I love talking to all these people all day. So that's a great job. Um, and I've met most amazing people. I think I've talked to every PT and every performance coach in the nation almost now. But, um, you know, is really making sure... And, and like, if I've got a, a potential um, contact, you know, I'm very obsessive about, was that the question? What am I talking about? Um, making sure that everything is done to make sure that it's successful sale and that customer is super happy. So I'm a little bit obsessed by my organizational skills. Um, my success habits. Yeah, definitely my organizational skills. All right. I think that's probably it. And my tennis game. And your tennis game, that's your obsession. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Some, some of the rest of my family may disagree with that because I do play rather a lot of tennis. But yeah, hey, you know. <laughs> well, 
Mike, what do you got? Fun sport. <laughs> well, this obviously has been awesome. We, you know, we were trying to get it for a, a number of weeks now and trying to get, get this on here because uh, the first part is the education and getting people to understand what's out there. Um, it's amazing how many people still don't know about a lot. And when I go through the education with, with my patients or with, you know, even uh, parents of these kids, they're blown back by a lot of the stuff because no one really explains anything to them and understand the education is so minimal. I think that the education too, it's amazing because with social media, we have the ability to share so much stuff now, Yeah, but it's still people don't know where to go to get the right information on what's going on. I think that's been causing a lot of problems even over the past year with so many things. There's a lot of stuff just floating around out there and people don't know what's true, where to go. They don't trust anything. I find podcasting is a great way because you can, you have these conversations and people can listen to it when they're driving or whenever. And it's a good way to learn about, about these things. No one's really heard about this. Now we can push this out in a community and people can understand this is an option of things out there. Um, and they understand. And, you know, what Joe and I talk about is on the podcast is we try to bring on the, you know, a network of people. As you see you and Kevin, you, you, and, you and Trent, you know, there's a network there. And we said, if we brought everybody on our podcast into a room, everybody would probably sit and have an amazing, you know, type of conference together. It'd be like, you know, a CSM right. people brought on because everyone would get along because they all have a different component. You know, we brought on other performance specialists. We brought on people that had certain products that help, but it all comes together in improving human performance and, and basically almost, you know, another tag of bioptimizers, you know, but bioptimizing lifestyle. It, it all comes together. I mean, that, that sponsor that product is about improving health. That's what Bioptimizer's company was all about. So digestive enzyme, it's about the nutrition component. And now we're bringing on, we're talking about movement component and, you know, bringing on products, you know, is this just a fancy tool or is this something that is actually eliciting, you know, some type of response to make us better? You know, like you said, it's moving forward with the times and we're looking at how can we improve our life and making things there, you know, better for what we're doing. And I think that, you know, the adolescents now, it's hard. I don't think they have as many role models as maybe we used to do when we were growing up. They, they, they kind of seem a little lost. They don't know what to look at. So all this stuff on social media. So they need goals. And when all of them are getting injured, it's very depressing. So they don't know what to look forward to. So they should be able to play these sports. They should be able to explore. And I say this, it's like, there's no reason why you're having ACLs are not normal. It's not a normal injury. Just like diabetes is not normal, hypertension is not normal. Obviously, there's extrinsic cases, but generally these things are not normal, but they're happening and they're so common and we've accepted that. And, you know, in the latest research, you know, 2021 is showing the, you know, the incidence of, of these injuries and what are we doing to combat it? Because you can't keep doing what we're doing, right. you know, and you start thinking about, you know, like, you know, if you have kids you know, yourself, you think about their futures and what's going on. Like I would hate to see this happen to my daughter and not knowing and being so lost. I mean, in that Facebook group, there's parents whose kids have retore their ACLs three times. And someone's just like, is there anyone else who doesn't have any retears here? Like retears should never be a term. This should not happen. You know, like at least non-contact related. If you're playing football and traumatic things happen, a helmet to a knee, I get it. This is all non-contact, just running and cutting and pop. So, you know, so we're really on this war path of trying to improve it because at least here in the Northeast, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, around this high population organized sports, New Jersey, I mean, the soccer is bigger than even PA. I mean, Central Jersey, Manalpin, you know, I grew up, the tournaments are massive. You know, the Monmouth County tournaments, Memorial Day, all my buddies played. I went the track and field route, but the soccer tournaments were massive. 
My buddy's never had ACL tears. Never heard of that. You know, never heard of that. You know, so that's what we're really trying to improve. And we want to be able to get people within this network, the education. So when we, when we talk to surgeons and coaches and parents, they see we have all these people to pull through. You know, here's Joanna with disinformation. Here's Trent with disinformation. Here's Kevin with disinformation. There's all these people that are saying the same thing. And they all have these resources and the science behind it. This isn't just some dude in his basement, you know, spinning up some crazy craft device or, you know, something they're selling on QVC or something. You know, no knock on QVC, but I get patients that bring in some things and I'm like, where did you get that? Like, you know, like where's the science behind that, you know? Like you could buy anything anywhere these days. Remember the shake weight, you know? Yeah. Like, so... Like at least this stuff has like like background behind it. All the things we're bringing on here has like a foundation behind it. It's not just some weird thing you got somewhere. And it's like, okay, like what are you using behind it? There's science. There's subjective measures. That's really important because we want to see if I'm going to make you use this, here's why. And I think that's how we're going to improve just, you know, as human beings, as athletes, performance, you know, so we just have to get the information out there. So that's, that's what this is all about. So, I mean, this has just been awesome for you to come on and, and we're going to try to share this as, as much as we can and get it out there, you know? Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. This is so fun. Love yeah. it. Is there anything that, that the audience, like that we didn't touch on that, that you're, that you're thinking off the top of your head that we missed that you, that you want to get in any other points? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think we've talked through the technology. I mean, you know, it is getting much more mainstream. So depending where you are, you know, there are people obviously, around this area, this, this tri-state area around here who have the technology. So, you know, seek them out and, and get the testing. So, yeah. Awesome. Where can, where, you, did, uh, where can anybody find you or Dorsa V on uh, any of the social media sites? Yeah, so Dorsa V, which is spelled D-O-R-S-A-V-I.com um, is our website. And then we're all over social media, LinkedIn, all of the different social media channels, Instagram, Facebook. So you can search us there and we've got some really good stories. We also have a blog uh, that talks about the AMI as well. And I can send you guys the link for that. If anybody wants to um, reach out to me directly, it's jgolden, G-O-L-D-I-N, at dorsavi.com. Michael, where can they find you? I'm on uh, Instagram at the honey badger underscore juicy. And I'm on LinkedIn, St. George. You'll see where I post the... Uh, training content, the PT content and stuff like this, the great podcast content. Gotcha. I, I think that you should change your LinkedIn name though to Honey Badger Juicy. <laughs> you think that would go? Oh, I mean, might. because well, there's a little bit because the LinkedIn has a little bit more of the PT related stuff. I don't put as much as the Spartan Race stuff on there, but it's starting to mesh a little bit. Yep. So yep. maybe, maybe we'll just make everything juicy going forward. Might have to put that, you know, on a banner somewhere. There you go. <laughs> you can find me at, at coach underscore Haas on Instagram, Joe Haas on LinkedIn, Coach Haas on the Facebook page, and obviously the YouTube page where this is also being shown. Uh, that's Coach Haas. And then also the anchor, you know, that we, we, we send this out on anchor and it goes out to Spotify, Google Play and all these. So do us a favor and start sending us some of your comments and things on, you know, like what you like to hear, what you thought of the show and things like that. So leave comments. Uh, we, we would really appreciate it. So Joanna, thank you so much again for tonight. This was, this was awesome. Another piece to this, this mini series that I think we're going to create, Mike, you know, these last four podcasts have been amazing. So 
really good stuff. Yeah, I can't absolutely. thank you enough for your time. Your time is valuable. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. That was a great fun. Awesome. Absolutely, Joanna. And we'll be in touch. I mean, we're always on social, so it's always great to network and share ideas. So yeah, perfect. Great. Okay. Thanks, you guys. Have a great night. Have a great work. All right, okay. guys. Take care. All right. Take care.